What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Kyle, we are a uh, a little bit late this week on a post. Yeah, but we finally have worked out our technical difficulties with Discord. So now we will have actually uh, full audio for this episode instead of just all audio. I'm kind of glad that that whole situation has come to an end. So we're back to the grind and we're back on it. So ready to dive into these topics? Oh, yeah, bro. Day late make me a little itchy to get back into it a little bit quicker. Yeah, so just to kind of give you guys a preview of what we're going to talk about, we're going to go over the Deshaun Watson trade, went from the Houston Texans to the Cleveland Browns. I know we're a little bit late on that one, but we definitely got to talk about that. We'll talk about Matt Ryan getting traded from the Atlanta Falcons to the Indianapolis Colts. I know Kevin's got a lot to say about that. Uh, We'll also talk about the offensive line rebuild that the Bengals have been putting in full force this offseason so far in free agency. We'll talk a little bit about Baker Mayfield's situation now that Deshaun Watson's more than likely going to be the starting quarterback for the Browns. It means that Baker Mayfield's going to be on the way out. Then we'll also talk a little bit about some more free agency news in the NFL. We'll also talk a little bit about really the injuries that Zion Williamson and Damian Lillard have been going through this season. They are out for the rest of the season with their respective injuries. And then we'll talk a little bit about the situation that the New York Yankees are faced with. I know that it brings Kevin so much joy to bring up the New York Yankees at this point, but we'll round out the episode with that. So that's what we have as far as the agenda. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into it, and let's focus on this Deshaun Watson trade. Probably the biggest trade in the offseason so far. You could pretty much make an argument. It's right alongside, maybe even more so. Uh, It's a bigger trade than potentially what Russell Wilson was to the Broncos. But it looks like the Browns have the quarterback of their future with Deshaun Watson. And not only that, not only was he traded to Cleveland, but he also signed a five-year extension with the entire contract guaranteed, which is unprecedented as far as I'm concerned. I don't think Kevin and I, we've ever seen a contract get fully guaranteed. I can't remember any player ever getting that as far as I know of in the NFL. So not only did Deshaun get really the place that he wanted to go to, but to get the contract on top of the, on top of that, I mean, it's just icing on the cake at this point. So it does look like things are kind of heading in Cleveland's favor. You bring Deshaun Watson into the fold, it's going to be it's going to be a complete change of scenery just based off of really the fact that Houston was irrelevant for the last couple of years and with the injuries that Baker Mayfield was dealing with last year. It definitely seems like the, the Browns are turning over a new leaf with Deshaun Watson at the helm. Now, Kevin, to get this one to you, with Deshaun Watson, now a member of the Cleveland Browns, what do you think his impact is going to be for the Browns this season and subsequent seasons afterward? Well, I'm just going to be straightforward and say the AFC just continues to get that much stronger. Now, I know that Deshaun was already in the AFC, but like Kyle said, he was playing for a pretty irrelevant team that kind of dwindled as the seasons and years went forward. Now you add him to the mix of Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, David Njoku, now the recently signed Amari Cooper, a very potent and strong offensive line, and then a top 15 ranked defense. All of these things are pretty much something that Deshaun Watson never had outside of maybe DeAndre Hopkins being, uh, you know, arguably the best receiver in the league at the time when they were paired together. But 
Houston's offensive line since he's gotten there has been longly irrelevant. Their defense has never been anything to brag about. And then their running attack has never been anything significant. So you can say that he not he didn't just go to a better team. He got put in a better career situation. And Kyle alluded to the price. We're talking about $230 million fully guaranteed. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's the most money I've ever heard being fully guaranteed in the sport of the in the sport of football. So I'm just I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying. He won in every single category that you can possibly win. And the fact that he was, um, you know, alleviated of any criminal charges or relieved or, you know, deemed innocent. Uh, and then multiple reports were surfacing further as the uh, his attorneys were coming out and saying that, you know, some of these women just said things so they can get money. Some of these women, even though these charges were going on, were still requesting to meet with Deshaun. So it, it's all things considered, it's looking very well. You know, he was, uh, like the country always says, innocent until proven guilty. And now Deshaun Watson's got a full restart in Cleveland, and it looks to be a very humble and winning situation with everything he has around him. So kudos to Deshaun. I got them going into the AFC North very competitive. I mean, at this point now you have Deshaun Watson in Cleveland, Lamar Jackson hopefully being healthy out there in Baltimore. We don't know the situation right now in Pittsburgh. I know that – um Mitch Trubisky is the starting quarterback right now, but they still have a first-round pick, so we don't know if they're going to end up drafting Malik Willis. And then, of course, you know that Cincinnati has Joe Burrow. Uh, My biggest thing right now for Cleveland is Cleveland gets a full offseason with Deshaun when they made this trade. So now they have every ounce of the NFL draft to focus on whatever they have left in picks because we all know that they gave up a shit ton to get them. But – uh, whatever money is left, you acquire some different pieces, and then you actually go into OTAs, non-mandatory mini camps, and everything like that with Deshaun Watson fully focused and ready to play. So I, I think that this offseason is going to be huge and pivotal for Deshaun. And uh, the Cleveland Browns are poised to make a, a decent run in the AFC playoffs because, Lord knows, they got some potential. And now with Deshaun Watson, you can sit here and say that they're even better situated than they were Baker Mayfield because, let's be frank, Deshaun is 10 times better as a quarterback than Baker Mayfield ever was. Well, Kevin, I, I got to agree with you on this one. I think the Browns are instantly playoff contenders now that they have Deshaun Watson in the fold. And, you know, when you add Deshaun Watson to any team, I mean, it's an instant game changer just because he's one of the most athletic quarterbacks that we've seen in this generation. And it's really that dual threat option that he presents to opposing defenses that makes him a nightmare scenario to go up against. I mean, when he's faced with a situation of being able to pass the ball, he can pass the ball effectively. And now if the play breaks down, he can use his legs. He can use his feet, bounce outside of the pocket and be able to pick up good chunks of yards on a consistent basis. Now, I think the situation that Deshaun Watson is going in with the Browns this year, I think it's a favorable one because when I look at the cachet that he ha- that he has around him, this is a pretty solid core of guys to go with. You got Amari Cooper that was brought into the fold this offseason via free agency. You've got David Njoku. You've got Kareem Hunt. You have Nick Chubb. This is a situation where I don't know. I don't think that it's actually going to be all on Deshaun's shoulders just because when you have that running back combo with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, that takes a lot of pressure off of Deshaun's shoulders because there are going to be games where Deshaun doesn't have to go out there and pass the ball 30, 30, 40, 50 times a game because he can rely on that run game that the Browns have at their disposal and be able to offset 
Deshaun going out there and really single-handedly carrying that offense to a victory. I think when it comes to the situation that Deshaun's dealing with as far as this lawsuit goes, I think this is going to be something that's just going to be kind of on the back burner moving forward. I think depending on how this plays out, more than likely this is going to end in a civil suit where he may have to pay money to some of these women. But dodging you know, the criminal aspect of it, because the, the jury didn't find any sort of reason to levy criminal charges against him, that takes all the weight off of his shoulders as far as I'm concerned. I think he's going to be extremely focused when it comes to being ready for the Browns this upcoming season. And Kevin, it's like you said, now that he has a full off season to work with the Browns, that's huge. If this was a situation where he got traded in July or August, there's a limited time frame to be able to get the chemistry to mesh quickly. Well, now he has April, May, June, July, August to be able to work out with the wide receivers, possibly the running backs that they're going to have this season. That gives them a lot more time to be able to to bond, be able to mesh, and hopefully lock down the chemistry going into training camp and then hopefully going into the regular season as well. When I look at the Browns, I think they had to make this trade because they just weren't really set on Baker here. I think Baker was kind of... I don't really know how to say it. I would just say that they were looking at better options than what Baker had at that current moment in time. And with Baker's recent injury history, I think they looked at Deshaun and they had to pull the trigger on this trade no matter what the draft capital they gave up was. Deshaun's basically one of the most... I would say one of the most active, sought-out trade pieces in recent NFL history. And I think the Browns basically hit a home run on this one, despite what they gave up in in picks. So I think the Browns are going to be ready to rock and roll this upcoming season. They're going to be in the mix in a very competitive AFC North, right alongside the Ravens and the Bengals. I'm not going to say that they're just going to cakewalk to a division title. They're definitely going to be in the mix. And I do see them not only being a playoff team, but I do think that they can make some noise if they end up getting a good seed going into January. So all in all, I think the Browns are in a great position here. Now they just got to go out and make the plays that need to be made during the season. And hopefully it works out in their favor. But as far as the Sean trade goes, it's a good one. And I think the Browns are right back in the mix. That's just how I see it. Yeah. And, you know, for those of you that are unaware, um, more of the trade actually came out in terms of details. Uh, Instead of it being five total picks, it ended up being six. So the Cleveland Browns actually traded a first round pick in 2022, which is the 13th overall. They are trading a first round pick in 2023, a first round pick in 2024. They are actually adding this pick in, which is a fourth round pick this year, the 107th pick overall from the Detroit Lions a 2023 third-round pick, and then a 2024 fourth-round pick. So Houston goes and gets a boatload for Deshaun, which is exactly what they wanted for their rebuild, and Cleveland gets the quarterback of their future. So overall, that is the final, I guess, verdict on the trade. You know, no pun intended with the legal stuff going on. Probably a terrible choice of words. But uh, overall, I am excited to see what Cleveland brings to the table. I am excited to see Deshaun Watson back on the field. We all know how much of an exciting player he can be. And, uh, you know, there's plenty more off-season news that we got to keep talking about today, Kyle. So, um, you know, going into my team, yeah. <laughs> what you got for me? Well, I guess it's no other reason to say other than this. Uh, the Colts do finally have a quarterback to roll with going into next season, and it is going to be Matt Ryan. 
Uh, the Colts traded for Matt Ryan on Monday, and it finally alleviates the quarterback situation after they traded Carson Wentz to the Washington football team. Now, when I look at... Commanders, Matt, don't forget. <laughs> did I say Washington football team? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh um, just before we dive into the segment, I'm not going to call the Washington Commanders the Commanders. I'm pretty much just going to call them the Washington whatevers because they're just an irrelevant football team at this point. So whenever we talk about Washington, it's going to be the Washington whatevers. That's just kind of like my personal take on that team name because I don't really like so it that rude. much. I know. So I'm, disres- I'm disrespectful, but they kind of do it to themselves. <laughs> that's, just, that's just plain as day to me. But no, it definitely, going back to the Colts aspect of this um they definitely have a quarterback to roll with. Um, I, I know we have a lot to talk about this one, so I'm going to stop talking about this. I'm going to let Kevin take the floor on this one. But Kevin, I got to ask you, with Matt Ryan being the quarterback of this upcoming season for the Colts, what are your expectations for Matt Ryan this season? I'm conflicted, and I've been saying that to everybody. Every single person that reached out to me today, I swear, I said the exact same thing. Confliction is the biggest word I can use to describe everything right now because we didn't have to eat up that entire cap hit that Matt was due. Everybody knows um, if he wasn't traded before tomorrow that he – well, for you guys today, um, he would have been owed about 48 or so million dollars from the Atlanta Falcons with a 7.5 roster bonus. Uh, Atlanta gets that deal done today, but in order to get that deal done, they had to eat the majority of the remaining contract that Matt Ryan had to be paid. So they ate about $40.5 million, and that just once again goes to show Chris Ballard is a genius in finding ways to go and get, I guess, the previous teams of our last two quarterbacks to eat the majority of the contract that they were uh, that they were owed. So Matt Ryan is due about $24 million this year, but we are able to cut him and save about $29 million next season if this doesn't pan out. So once again, another bridge quarterback year. And once again, another kind of uh, roll the dice and hope that it works kind of situation. So I'm not happy about that, but with the quarterbacks that were available in this time, I, 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 I'll deal with Matt Ryan. I mean, he's 36 years old. We know the guy can still sling it. We know that he did not have a lot of weapons over the last couple of years, especially last year with Calvin Ridley being out for the majority of the year. The Falcons really not having a consistent, if not average at best offensive line over the last two seasons and then their running game has been lackluster to say the least outside of Cordell Patterson last season so you kind of wrap all that up and flip it and put it in Indianapolis and we have one of the better offensive lines we have obviously one of the best running attacks in the NFL and uh, you know obviously we have uh, a very good defense which Atlanta has never really had outside of maybe their Super Bowl year but once again you can make that argument because Kyle knows better than anybody that defense wasn't stopping a cold against Tom Brady in that second half. So overall, Matt Ryan gets put into a better situation for what it is I guess he's trying to do, and that's go after another Super Bowl run. But my biggest thing as a Colts fan is what are we going to do to give him weapons? What are we going to do to go out there and provide him with talent on the outside? We just lost Zach Passman to the Philadelphia Eagles. Michael Pittman Jr. is still our only receiver on the roster. And then we just have a bunch of no-names and question marks because T.Y. Hilton hasn't been re-signed. There's speculation that we're going to go and kick the tires at Julio Jones for the prove-it-year kind of deal, especially because of his history and connection with Matt Ryan. So until we go out there and, and, and put some moves out there on the offensive side of the ball, we still have a little bit of money left, if I'm not mistaken, about $16 or so million left in cap for this season. So, I mean, we can 
try and acquire some veteran free agent wide receivers, maybe a tight end or so. I, I don't necessarily know what's going through Ballard's mind. Um, and of course, the fact that we got him for a third round pick this season, and that's about it. I can't really complain. You get a better pocket passing quarterback. You get a quarterback that can make the layups. And, uh, you know, you don't really have to pay a lot for him. And obviously, you know, $24 million this year, Carson was due almost 30. Uh, so you technically save a little bit of money. And then next year, if it doesn't pan out, you go and draft the quarterback. You go back into the quarterback market next free agent period in 2023. Uh, you can cut him and save $29 million. So we'll be back right back up there in uh, top capital in terms of uh, cap uh, total for next season. So I'm not – I'm not mad about it like I was in the beginning. As the details of the trade started to continue to come out, I was kind of a little bit more relieved because I, I was just nervous about that cap hit. I was nervous about what it is that he was going to bring to the table in terms of uh, offensively what we were going to surround him with. But I, I got to say, man, I wanted Ballard's head on a, on, a, on a silver platter the last week or so because we made no moves outside of the Ngakwe trade. And it, like he always does, he moves in silence and he finds ways to get things done and to go get a quarterback of Matthew Matt Ryan's caliber, uh, granted at this stage in his career, um, still for what we paid for him and what Atlanta was able to take away from us in financial struggles, I'll take it. I'll take it day in and day out. So we'll see what happens. Time will tell. And uh, in Ballard, we trust, man. That's what I got to keep going with. I think when I look at this trade overall, I think this is a solid trade. I'm not saying this is like an earth-shattering trade, like this is going to change the entire dynamic of the AFC South. But you bring in quarterback stability when you bring in a guy like Matt Ryan. And I do think when you tie Matt Ryan into the situation that he had last season with the Falcons, that offensive line was porous. And it definitely had an impact on Matt Ryan's ability to be able to effectively move the offense up and down the field. Well, now that he's a Colt, I don't think that's going to be an issue moving forward. And I do think that Matt Ryan's going to have a bounce back year with the Colts going into next season. Now, the reason why I say that is because I think that offensive line is going to be able to protect him at all costs. And not only that, I think when, when you look at the situation that the Colts have, the Colts have arguably a top five running back you could possibly say even like top three depending on who you ask in Jonathan Taylor and similar to what I kind of said about Carson Wentz last year when he went to the Colts but to have somebody like Jonathan Taylor in the backfield that takes a lot of pressure off that quarterback shoulders because there are going to be game plans that are going to be more focused on Jonathan Taylor than Matt Ryan and you don't have to have Matt Ryan go out there and toss the ball 50 times a game consistently just because Jonathan Taylor can go out there and have a 1,500-yard season and get 20 touchdowns if they just decide to run the football. And I think when it comes to Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan will bring some veteran leadership to that position. And I do think that once they're able to establish better receivers as far as being able to bring guys into the fold because they just don't have that many receivers in their lineup right now, I think once they get that settled, I think that Matt will finally be able to get the chemistry aspect going. I think they'll be able to link up depending on who they bring in. But overall, the main thing that I'm looking for for the Colts next year is I got to see a step forward because honestly, they probably should have been a playoff team last season. And they had that atrocious loss on the road to the Jaguars in the last game of the year that essentially had them outside looking in as far as a playoff berth was concerned. I got to see this 
team progress in some sort of way. And I do think that Matt Ryan definitely gives them a chance to be able to be a playoff team next season. But the odds are stacked against them simply just because when you look at the entire landscape of the AFC right now, it is absolutely stacked across the board. There, there could be a situation where you have potentially three teams from the AFC West be playoff teams just because you have three teams that can light it up with the, the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Chiefs. And then when you tie in some other teams throughout the rest of the AFC, you got the Bengals to deal with. In the AFC North, you've got the Bills to deal with in the AFC East. You've got the Ravens to deal with in the AFC North. And you could potentially be dealing with the Patriots on top of that in the AFC East to go along with their divisional rivals with the Tennessee Titans in the AFC South. So the Colts got some big uphill uh, challenges here. But it's like I said... I got to see this team progress in some sort of way next season. I do think that Matt Ryan gives them a chance to do that. But really the biggest thing now is they have to bring in some sort of wide receiver presence to that side of the equation because right now their wide receiver core is very thin. Like Kevin mentioned, really only having Michael Pittman Jr. as that main option right now, it's simply not enough. They have to focus on that either throughout free agency, what's left of it, or possibly looking at the draft because right now this wide receiver core is extremely weak and it could be a hindrance for this team moving forward if it's not addressed sooner rather than later. But all in all, I would say this is a good trade. Um, The fact that the Colts were not, they didn't take a huge cap hit with bringing Matt Ryan into the fold. That was definitely a solid move on their part, but there's still some, uh, there's still some things that need to be done as far as what the Colts need to do this off season. But all in all, I think this trade was fine, in my opinion, with uh, Matt Ryan. So, good on my end. Well, you know, Matt Ryan gets some more protection coming up this year. But my man Joseph Burrow finally is going to have some 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 help up front to keep sir. him upright. Yes, so, sir. So, uh, Kyle, uh, what are we looking at here in Cincinnati's offseason right now? Well, it's like Kevin had just mentioned. The biggest need that the Bengals had to address this offseason was clearly their offensive line issues. I mean, Kevin, if I remember correctly, Joe Burrow got sacked nine times in that ga- in the AFC Divisional game against the Tennessee Titans. Now, granted, the Bengals did win that game, but the fact that they allowed nine sacks in that one playoff game against the Titans and then allowed Joe to continue to get sacked throughout the rest of that playoff run definitely did not help them out in the long run when they unfortunately lost to the Rams in the Super Bowl. But... I have to say, the Bengals made some moves, my guy. So they bring in some solid pieces with Alex Kappa coming from the Buccaneers, Ted Karras coming in from the Patriots. You have Lyle Collins coming from the Cowboys. Biggest need that they had to address this offseason, as far as their offense goes, was the offensive line. They definitely did that as far as I'm concerned. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Bengals adding Alex Kappa, Ted Karras and Lyle Collins to their offensive line going into next season. Do you think this is going to be a dream scenario for the Bengals going into next season? 100%. They went on a Super Bowl run and led the NFL in sacks. They went on a Super Bowl run and they broke or tied an NFL record for most times sacked in a playoff game. 
you have the weapons on offense. You have the, 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 the average to above average defense that's able to make plays. And apparently they're now in the runnings to go and acquire Stephon Gilmore. Can you really say that the Bengals aren't poised for another Super Bowl run? I can't. They beat a bunch of teams that nobody had faith that they could beat. So why can't they do it again? Now you go and boister up this line. You go and get a tackle. You go and get uh, – uh, uh, you go get two tackles. And then you go and get a, 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 a Pro Bowl caliber guard from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't, I don't see why this isn't going to put them right back into the conversation as one of the best teams in the AFC. They have the confidence. They have the experience. They clearly have the coaching staff. They have the quarterback. Why not? Why not the Bengals? So – I think that these signings go and show that they are focused in making sure that they are going to acquire the pieces that they need to go and do this again, except with a better outcome being that they win the Super Bowl and they have an entire full year worth, full year's worth of draft picks. So the Bengals are poised to go out there and make moves in the offseason in terms of going out and drafting some good free agents. They made some great moves to improve that offensive line. Joe Burrow, obviously has another full offseason in terms of being healthy and practicing. And then it's just more repetition for him and that offensive line to get familiar. So this offseason for the Bengals, A+. plus. They addressed every need they needed to. And at the end of the day, actually, I can't give it an A+. plus. They re-signed Eli Apple, so there's that. And then, of course, at the end of the day, they did lose CJ uh, – what's his name again? Uzma? Uzma. Uzma. But then they go and acquire Hayden Hurst. So, you know – Pros, cons, they got some people, they lost some people, but I think that the pros outweigh the cons significantly. And Joe Burrow, excuse me, Joseph is poised for another run. Kevin, I think they hit a home run on this one, and I don't think there's really any other way to describe it. I mean, when you look at the Bengals last season in particular, they allowed the third most amount of sacks compared to any NFL team last year with 55. I think the leading team as far as the most sacks that gave up last year uh, was the Chicago Bears with 58. But I mean, the Bengals are in the same company as the Brown. Uh, the Bengals are in the same company as the Bears in that way. You can't have that, especially with a guy like Joe Burrow leading you in that offense. But I think they hit a home run here. I mean, to be able to bring in Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, Lyle Collins, I think this is going to be a situation where the Bengals could potentially I would say cut their sacks as far as sacks allowed by a third next season. So it's like I said, they gave up 55 sacks this past season. I could see a scenario where they may only give up 30 to 35 sacks um, with Joe Burrow at the helm next year, which would be huge as far as Joe Burrow is concerned because throughout the early part of his career so far, the first two seasons that he's played, he's been hit constantly. And it doesn't help that he's already had a torn ACL within the first year of his career. But the Bengals knew what they needed to do. And that was protect Joe Burrow at all costs. And Kevin knows this better than anybody else. If you do not protect your star quarterback like the Colts did not do with Andrew Luck, careers get cut short. Unfortunately, that's something we just hate to see. But it's just a sad fact of reality when you don't protect your key asset, your quarterback, with competent offensive linemen. Careers can definitely be sidelined or it could be railroaded simply just because of not being able to protect that quarterback at all costs. I think Joe Burrow is going to be fine next year. I think Joe Burrow is going to be protected a lot better than what he was this season. 
and compared to his rookie year. And trust me, that adds even more confidence in Joe Burrow's game. I mean, the Bengals went to a Super Bowl this past season, and that was despite the fact that he was getting hit constantly, not just in the regular season, but in the playoffs as well. I mean, the game against the Titans, it's like I said, they gave up nine sacks in one game in that AFC Divisional. You can't have that, no matter if it's a playoff game or a regular season game. And then he continued to get sacked in multiple playoff games this past season. But it all starts up in the trenches. And I know it's not always pretty to talk about offensive linemen, but they are one of the most integral pieces on a football team. And you've seen it the last two years when you don't have a competent offensive line. And I'll even make this point. Had the Bengals had a decent offensive line to work with last year, there may have been a situation. Kevin, I I don't know if you remember this. That fourth down play where Joe Burrow had to get the ball out quickly because Aaron Donald was getting a solid pass rush on Joe. Oh, yeah. Had Joe had a second or two more of time, guess who was wide open running down the sideline? Jamar, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Chase. Yeah, because Jalen Ramsey fell on the route. And if Joe had an extra second or two to see Jamar running down the sideline unopposed, that would have been a walk-in touchdown. And the Bengals could have potentially been Super Bowl champions had Joe had a little bit more time. And really, you know, the game of football is usually talked about like as a game of inches just because, you know, a yard or two can make a difference in a game. Well, nobody ever talks about time as far as the time that you have at your disposal when a play is going on. And now that the Bengals have a solid offensive line to work with, and it's an immediate upgrade as far as I'm concerned, they have one of the best, I would say they have one of the best offensive lines in the AFC at this current moment in time, just with all the adjustments that they made in free agency by picking these guys up. You could give Joe an extra second, two, possibly three seconds of time in the pocket to be able to make decisions. That's a game changer. And I think more than likely what's going to happen is, is that if Joe has more confidence in his offensive line, being able to do their jobs, Joe can lead that team to another Super Bowl next season. I'm fully confident in that. Now, whether it happens, we'll see, but if Joe can light up opposing defenses, like he did last season with a better offensive line going into this season, there's no doubt in my mind that Joe can go out there and lead that team to the Super Bowl again. So, great that the AFC is stacked. It's very difficult to go back to back-to-back Super Bowls. Very few teams that have been really been able to do it in uh, recent memory, maybe outside of the Patriots and the Chiefs. But I think that with these new offensive pieces and Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, and Lowell Collins, I think they definitely have all the pieces to be able to get to a Super Bowl. But they have to go out there and execute. And that's just something that we'll have to monitor once the season starts and potentially when they make the playoffs. But overall, I think the Bengals, they got some great offensive line pieces to protect Joe. Now they're just going to go out and do their jobs. But all in all, the Bengals did what they needed to do. and They hit a home run as far as I'm concerned. Like I said, man, that's probably about an AA plus. I know I was just joking around with the Eli Apple thing, but they did what they needed to do and they addressed their biggest need. Yeah. Now, in regards to some remaining teams in the NFL offseason, there are 
safe to say a little bit more question marks still looming, but some teams were able to address the quarterback position. And those two teams are the New Orleans Saints and the Atlanta Falcons. So the New Orleans Saints were obviously rumored to be in that kind of deal. Well, technically both of them in terms of the Atlanta Falcons and the Saints to be in the running for Deshaun Watson. Obviously, both of them not acquiring the quarterback. He went to Houston, excuse me, to uh, Cleveland. And New Orleans decides to go and re-sign Jameis to a two-year deal. And then Atlanta goes and tries to, I guess, revitalize the quarterback career of Marcus Mariota and give him a two-year deal as well. So, I mean, Kyle, what do these signings do for these organizations? Like, how do these, you know, how do these moves make these teams look, especially in a competitive division that is the NFC South? Well, here's what I'll say. When it comes to Jameis Winston going back to the New Orleans Saints, I think it's smart. I think it's smart on their part just because it brings stability to that quarterback position. And I think when I look at Jameis Winston compared to Taysom Hill, going with Jameis, bro. It's not even close. I'm going with Jameis. Now, when it comes to the Marcus Mariota situation with the Falcons, the Falcons were moving on from Matt Ryan one way or another because I was going through some of the reports with Matt Ryan, and it didn't seem like Matt Ryan was really that bent on getting another contract extension with the Atlanta Falcons. So I think Atlanta was kind of preparing the fact that they were going to move on from him anyway. And when it comes to Marcus Mariota in the fold, I'm not guaranteed. I'm not really sold on the possibility of Marcus Mariota being the guy that's going to lead the Falcons to the promised land, be able to get them a division title in the NFC South. I just don't really see it. I think if Atlanta had some decent weapons, to surround Marcus with, I'd say maybe they'd be in a better situation. But with Calvin Ridley being out the next season due to his gambling issue, where he's going to be suspended the entire year, they don't really have a lot to work with. Granted, they have uh, Cordero Patterson, but overall, I, I there's just not much that Atlanta has in their offensive arsenal that I could say, like, yeah, this team could really compete against teams like the Saints or the Buccaneers. I just don't really see it. I think when it comes to the Saints, though, the Saints are the only team that have gone out and outcompeted the Buccaneers in that division two straight seasons. In the regular season, the Saints haven't lost to Tom Brady when he's led the Buccaneers against them, which is really quite shocking because you know, when you have a Tom Brady-led team, typically those divisional games, granted, they, they, they can be competitive, but typically Tom finds a way to get those teams a W when it's all said and done. For the fact, but the fact of the matter is, is that the Saints are undefeated against Tom since Tom got to Tampa. And that's in large part due to the fact that when Drew Brees was there, he was able to be effective. Jameis has been effective at times. But it's really quite shocking that the Saints are like that competitive against Tampa. Like they just have their number and they've been playing very well against them. So I think when I look at the situation of looking at Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston, I think when it's all said and done, I kind of have to favor Jameis Winston over Marcus Mariota simply just because I don't think Marcus is going to be able to do that much with Atlanta, unfortunately. And I think with the current situation that the Saints have, even though that the Saints, they may be a team looking on the outside in as far as a playoff spot is concerned, but I think that they're really the only team that can compete with the Buccaneers this year. 
I think had Deshaun Watson gone to the Panthers because there's rumors that he could have potentially been traded to the Panthers, maybe they would have been more competitive to go up against Tampa. But as far as I'm concerned, the Saints are the only one that could actually go toe-to-toe with the Buccaneers. And it's because I think Javis Winston brings a better option than Taysom Hill is, you know, for the Saints. But overall, it, it does seem like to me that the Bucs are the favorite in the NFC South at this current moment in time. But I think Jameis is really the only quarterback that can really kind of go up against Tom Brady and be able to compete against him because Tom is by far and away the best quarterback in that division, despite the fact that he will be 45 years old going into next season. It's just, you know, it's, it's the Bucs. The Bucs are clearly the best team in the NFC South, but don't sleep on the Saints. I think that they could definitely make some noise and potentially even upset the Bucs once again. And it would be in part due to Jameis Winston, but I'm going to side with Jameis on this one, and that's just how I see it. I mean, good for Jameis and all. I mean, obviously, no one's saying that they're not happy for him actually getting another shot. I mean, coming off of an ACL injury when he was having a pretty decent season at the point of where he got injured, I would say that he rightfully deserved this opportunity to go and lead the Saints. But I'm going to agree with Kyle here just because when you look at the NFC South, it's legitimately Tom Brady and nobody else. The Panthers don't even know what they're doing at quarterback this year. Obviously, the Falcons are swinging and missing with Mariota, in my opinion. I can't say missing. We don't even know what's going to happen. Um, it should I say the Panthers are really swinging and missing because they went after Sam Darnold and then brought back Cam Newton, which turned out to be absolutely a waste of time. And then, of course, now you have the New Orleans Saints bringing Jameis back. Uh, you still have Michael Thomas on that team. We don't know what's happening with Alvin Kamara. You still have Mark Ingram on that team. You still have a great top 10 defense with the New Orleans Saints there as well. Um, it's going to be an entirely new run system with Dennis Allen at the front for, uh, at the forefront of the offense. Uh, we all know that he's more of a defensive-minded coach as well, so we will see what happens there. But Jameis gets a good contract, two years, $28 million, I believe $21 or $22 million guaranteed. And then, you know, kind of swinging over to the Atlanta aspect, like Kyle said, Atlanta doesn't really have any offensive weapons. I mean, Cordell Patterson and the Falcons, I believe, have agreed to a deal. I don't know the specifications of the contract. Um, they obviously have Kyle Pitts, one of the better tight ends in the league, obviously only coming off, their, coming off of one year. But we saw the talent that he was able to provide when he was given good looks. And then, I mean, again, Calvin Ridley suspended this year. They lost Gage to, if I'm not mistaken, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is a division rival, so that's even worse. And then, of course, at the end of the day, Marcus Mariota hasn't started a football game three, four seasons, and he got $18 million. So it's been some time. So so to have faith in somebody that hasn't had meaningful playing time in the NFL, somebody who kind of washed out of Tennessee, it wasn't because he was bad. It was just too many inconsistencies. He wasn't really able to make good decisions. So – I don't know if he's going to be utilized more in that RPO kind of situation because of the dynamics of Cordell Patterson in that offense, but we're going to have to see. But far and away, Tom Brady is the best quarterback in the division, arguably the best quarterback in the conference. And then you go and you add two quarterbacks that are potential question marks, but one being better than the other, and that's Jameis Winston. So I'm going to agree with Kyle and say for sure, New Orleans is the only team that's going to be able to rival Tampa in that division, and it's not even close. And I guess to keep it within the realm of quarterbacks in the NFL, there was one quarterback that's kind of getting the shaft, and that is Baker Mayfield. And when you look at the situation that Baker Mayfield is currently presented with, granted, he still is on the roster with the Cleveland Browns at this current moment in time, but all 
point all signs are pointing to Baker leaving because Deshaun Watson is going to be the starting quarterback for the Browns next season. But when you look across the landscape of the NFL, Baker is kind of running out of options at this current moment moment in time as far as suitable trade partners go. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with Baker Mayfield on the trade block, what do you think is the best case scenario for him going into next season? Dude, I don't know, man. We were talking about this off off stream, off recording, off air, whatever you want to call it. I, I, it's it's difficult. I mean, what teams are really available that are looking for a quarterback that are competitive? Seattle's leading the way right now. I mean, Carolina was interested at one point, but I, I don't know what's happening there. And to be honest with you, I, I don't necessarily know of another situation to where Baker's going to go in and make them competitive. Um, Seattle's got great offensive weapons, but they have a horrible offensive line. Um, obviously Seattle also has brought back Rashad Penny who had over about what over 500 yards if not over 600 yards in about four or five games so I mean they have talent in the backfield but that defense we don't really have anything going for it over there they just released Dunlap Jamal Adams is seeking a trade I mean it's he's going into another dumpster fire not that Cleveland was one but the way that that situation was kind of handled I believe that Baker Mayfield has a bad taste left in his mouth but Kyle and I have also mentioned it. He's a little soft for that. He kind of took that one a little softly, kind of like a child. He took that he, he took that in a very sensitive manner, and that really does reflect how Baker is. I mean, multiple sportscasters said that, you know, Baker Mayfield is known for being a tad bit over-emotional, a tad bit immature, and that is one big reason why the Colts weren't able to go – excuse me, not weren't able. The Colts weren't interested in going after Baker despite the rumors um, – I don't necessarily know what's going to happen there, man. I'm conflicted. I think Seattle's just the best situation, especially because they're the team that's given him the most interest from the most recent reports. Um, we got to see what happens with Baker recovering off of that uh, non-throwing shoulder recovery. We have to see what happens with how Baker is going to be able to mature or kind of, I guess, be better at adulting. I don't know. The reports are surfacing all over the place that Baker has just acted relatively childish throughout this entire process over the last couple of days. So whoever does acquire Baker could be acquiring a little bit of a diva, a head case. And granted, he was a former number one overall pick. So even if they do acquire him, unless they extend him, it's a one-year trial and error, and then they just say goodbye. And I don't really know where Baker's going to end up, man, because Baker had a pretty good situation out there in Cleveland, and he may have butchered it. Granted, he had a couple of different head coaches in his pretty in his what entire NFL career. I think he had three or four head coaches, which doesn't normally necessarily – it doesn't add up to success, but with what Baker had, you would have assumed he would have had a, a kind of like a better result or a better career so far. And um, he's kind of just disappointed me. I'm not going to lie. I don't really have a lot of faith in Baker, even if he has given weapons like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I, I just don't see it working out if he does end up going to Seattle. But if I had to pick a team, I think Seattle is more than likely going to be the team that uh, goes and kind of kicks the tires and sees, says what what can you lose and see what avail- what's available within Baker Mayfield's uh, remaining career? Yeah, but I'm really kind of struggling to kind of just figure out like some decent options for Baker at this point. Because, I mean, clearly his tenure with the Browns is going to come to an end. It's just a matter of when the trade is going to go through and where is he going to go. I mean, I- I'm with you on the possibility of him going to Seattle. I think that's one that's definitely going to generate a lot of rumors. Could potentially They could potentially work out a trade. Um, within the next couple of weeks or so. But I, I'm looking across the landscape of the NFL. I think really kind of like the only place that I can kind of think of 
like in the NFC outside of Seattle is maybe like Detroit. I I know they have Jared Goff in Detroit, but I mean, would it really make that much of a difference? Jared Goff would be holding a clipboard if they made that trade. I don't really see that working out in the long run. I mean, to kick it over to the AFC, I mean, maybe Pittsburgh, but there's no way that you're going to have a team trade within the same division of each other. It's just not going to work out. Maybe the Jets might be an option, but I just know that they re-signed. Um, I think they re-signed Joe oh, Flacco. And um, they have Zach Wilson as well in the fold there. So I don't really see how Baker would fit into that equation. So I think overall, I'm kind of drawing blanks on this one outside of Seattle. I think Seattle is really kind of the only place that I could see him going to. But Seattle's in full rebuild at this point. They traded Russell Wilson. There are multiple players asking for a trade out of Seattle at this current moment in time. It just doesn't seem like that's the place where Baker's going to go and really thrive at this point. And, you know, when I look at Baker Mayfield throughout his entire career so far, last year was a down year, and I think it was by and large due to the fact that he was hurt. But we were, we're only a couple of years removed from him propelling the Browns to a playoff appearance just a couple of years ago. But granted, it's definitely soured since then. But I do think that Baker, if he's in the right environment, I do think that he could be able to produce at a decent clip. But he has to be healthy, and he's got to be in a situation where his offensive line protects him, and he's got a decent amount of guys to be able to throw to, or the offense can find ways to produce um, when he's not the focal point of the offense. It's just... Looking across the landscape of the NFL, I'm really struggling to find a decent situation for him to land in outside of Seattle. And with the ones that I brought up with Detroit, the Jets, and the Steelers, I I just don't think that those are going to work out in the long run. So uh, Baker's really limited on options here. And I just don't think it's going to work out in the long run for him. I think he may get traded to Seattle, but... I, I don't know how much longer Baker's going to be a starting quarterback in the league. He may be a starting quarterback for the next couple of years or so, but there's a very real chance that within the next couple of years, Baker could be holding a clipboard and he might be a backup. That's definitely something that I think Baker may actually have to consider if the situations do not turn out in his way within the next couple of years or so. But yeah, if I had to put any sort of money on it right now, it would probably be Seattle because I just don't really see a lot of options for him to go to outside of that. But it's kind of unfortunate. Didn't help that he got hurt last year. But, man, get the shaft when Deshaun Watson came in. I know Baker's kind of definitely salty about that, but, you know, he could use that as motivation. He could use that as fuel if he gets signed or if he gets traded to a new team, excuse me. Uh, going into next season, but it's not a rosy picture for Baker at this current moment. It's just how I see it. Yeah, and with him kind of being that emotional distraction or someone that wasn't really able to handle the situation that you know was presented in front of him, granted, I understand that you're probably offended and upset that the team was willing to look elsewhere. You were the first overall pick just a few seasons ago. I mean, you were quarterback of the future just literally like two years ago and you had your career best year, but it's a business, man. Yep. You can't take that personal. You got to understand this is the NFL. And if a team has an opportunity to upgrade at any position, they're going to take an advantage of it because I'm pretty sure 
if it wasn't the quarterback position and you had an opportunity to go out there and get um, uh, one of the, an Aaron Donald, you're, you're, you're kicking a, another defensive player to the curb. If you had an opportunity to go out there and get, uh, like, a, hypothetically, of course, like a Jerry Rice in his prop, you're going to go and do it. So, you know, for you to kind of look at it and take it as personal as you did and be like, I want out, I'm done, I'm not playing for you, I think that it's best for me to get traded, basically throw a hissy fit and request one immediately, it, it's not a good look for you. It, it, it ruins your trade value. It, it ruins your, uh, you know, your credibility to be able to handle uh, tough situations in the NFL. Like, what happens if this happens again? Are you going to legitimately throw a tantrum and quit playing football? Like, again, I know I'm being dramatic, but you Baker doesn't do himself any favors with meltdowns like this. And when you create a narrative like this early on in your career, it doesn't bode well for you because that's how you become a journeyman quarterback. And not only that, it was the ongoing drama between him and Odell. Because Odell was the one constantly in a situation where he'd be open and Baker would just outright not look his way. And you saw what Odell was able to do once he got out to the Rams, once he was traded out there, and he was an instant hit with the Rams. Now, granted, he tore his ACL in the Super Bowl, which is unfortunate, but can't deny the fact that once Odell got out of the situation with Cleveland, he had a pretty solid season with the Rams in the limited time that he was there. And that really is kind of a poor reflection on Baker, just because you have Odell Beckham at your disposal one of the most electrifying wide receivers this generation. And you can't be able to work out the personal issues or the chemistry issues that you had with him. I I don't know how you just let that happen. You know, you're the quarterback. You're the leader of the offense. And just to basically cast aside one of the better receivers in the league like that in Odell Beckham, that's tough. That is really tough. And it, it is kind of a poor reflection on him. When you look back at it, so you know, hopefully Baker can learn from his mistakes wherever he goes. But dude, I, it's like I said, I see a scenario where he's going to be holding a clipboard within the next like three to five years. Like I honestly see that happening because I'm just saying wherever he goes and shit hits the fan, he will be a backup because people will not tolerate the fact that he is somewhat of you say sensitive. I would just say just, you know, I think there's just an element of of mental weakness in, in his, you know, his character as a football player. But, you know, m- maybe he could be able to change that. Hopefully, you know, I, I, I hope that's the case. I hope that he could be able to turn it around. But it's on his ability to be able to change things in a positive direction. And it, it's really kind of tough for me to see that right now. Yeah. But um, that kind of wraps it up for our NFL topics. We got uh, just two more left for you guys in general. I believe we have the NBA and then our last topic being, unfortunately, the New York Yankees. So, Kyle, what do we got for this NBA segment? Yeah, so we're going to focus on some injury news within the NBA. Um, Injuries suck, just a part of the game. But we're going to focus on Zion Williamson and Damian Lillard. Uh, Both guys are out with their respective injuries for the rest of the year. not to really toot our own horn on this one, but we did actually call both of these guys missing the rest of the season. I know Zion was kind of one where we had talked about earlier that lingering foot issue definitely hindered him, not just at the beginning of the season, but he tried to make a comeback. And unfortunately for him, he was not able to get back onto the court this season. Damian Lillard, I believe he was dealing with an abdomen issue, if I'm not mistaken. 
and kind of a similar situation, been dealing with it the entire year, but you know, not being able to see these guys on the court, it definitely sucks. And I think really when you kind of look at the situation that both of these guys are presented with, it's they're oddly similar just because even though the Zion is, is kind of what I would say is still like, it's, I don't know. He's still kind of like in the early part of his career at this current moment in time, but Damian Lillard's been in the league for basically a decade. And we don't really know what these guys' futures are at this current moment. And that's kind of something that we're going to kind of dive into with this segment. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with Zion Williamson and Damian Lillard out for the rest of the season with their respective injury, what do you think the future holds for both of these guys in their respective careers? So, I mean, like Kyle said, it's a little different for both, but at the same time, very similar. Um, we all know that Dame has been the topic of conversation the past two trade deadlines and him being frustrated with what Portland was able to surround him with or lack thereof. Um, and now Portland has pretty much traded away everything that he has, or should I say everything he's ever known in terms of his best friend and his, his, his right hand and CJ McCollum. And Dame has said publicly, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here. I want to, you know, build in Portland. I want to raise my family in Portland, all these different things about staying loyal to Portland. But in reality, I don't know how you would want to stay somewhere where you know you're not going to win as the West continues to get more and more competitive and the West continues to stack duos and trios of just a high magnitude. And I mean, the Lakers are having an off year and they still have a very strong tandem in in Anthony Davis and LeBron James when healthy. So, I mean, again, that's just an example of a bottom tier team that's close to the Blazers in record, but they still have a, a, a better team around them. And I'm just looking at it. I'm saying, for Dame to be successful, he's got to go elsewhere. And I know that they've created about $60 million in cap space for next season, but who wants to go play in Portland? For a second-year head coach in Chauncey Billups, for the rumors that were circulating that he had lost the locker room, with an aging Damian Lillard and a lack there of a supporting cast, I don't necessarily know who is going to want to go play there. I mean, for God's sakes, Dallas is a more prime location with it being a bigger market. And nobody wants to go play there with Luka. And Luka, quite frankly, could be arguably a better player than Damian Lillard in terms of all around. So who the hell is going to want to just go play in cloudy, depressing Oregon? You know what I'm saying? Like, Not to be rude, but that's my thoughts on that situation. The Zion Williamson situation is a little bit more pressing because he is younger. Um, this injury is a little bit more on the lingering aspect because it's his foot. They are saying that he could require a second surgery either soon or this coming off season. So depending on what happens there, um, Zion hasn't really been inclined to get himself in better shape. We all know that he looked to be a little bit overweight as the season started. We know that he was fluctuating on and off as he was going through rehab. We know that he had distanced himself from the team and the organization for the first two or three months of the year. Now recently uh, joining them and kind of being in contact with them and at least being at the facility and, and, and around his teammates. But when you look at that situation, when you look at his age and, you know, the situation that he's in with his injury, I would think that New Orleans is more inclined to train him, trade him because of what they're able to get back, just because of the potential that he still carries with, I guess, the playing style that he has with him being a, a high fly, high flying, athletic, scoring, and good defensive power forward or small forward, depending on how you want to use him. Um, 
Zion still is young and still has a lot to potentially bring to the table, depending on how he heals from this injury. But if New Orleans holds on to this, I think that Zion's going to leave no matter what. This roster's not winning. I mean, granted, right now they are tied with the Lakers for the ninth seed in the Western Conference, which would put them in the play-in tournament. But I'm looking at this and I'm saying I don't see them being competitive in the Western Conference consistently, even if Zion were to come back. Um, I don't necessarily see him re-signing because there's just so much speculation surrounding this saying that he wants to go and play on another team and everybody's speculating that he wants to rejoin his former Duke uh, teammate in RJ Barrett in New York. We know that the press conference that he had last year blew up and how he was grinning about how he loved playing in the garden, how he loved playing there in college and how he said, I love this place other than, you know, of course, New Orleans, I would love to play here. And I think somehow, some way he finds a way to get out of New Orleans, whether he goes to the Knicks or he doesn't, I think that it would be in New Orleans best interest to get rid of him. Um, go and get a couple of picks back, go and get some players back. You have uh, some great pieces in CJ and Brandon Ingram and Valanchunas and a couple of other young stars. I think that um, this team moving forward is better off without him. And uh, that's just quite frankly how I see that playing out, in my opinion. And Kevin, I see it a little bit differently. Um, Not much, but just a little bit differently. So I guess to focus on Zion first, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think that his career, his like long-term career in the NBA is in a little bit of doubt here. And it's because of that lingering foot issue. And to kind of dive into this a little bit more specifically, you know, the one thing about Zion Williamson that has always been a pressing matter is his weight. And it doesn't help when you have this foot injury to go along with that. Because, you know, when you're bringing down that much weight, on a consistent basis and your foot is already compromised. That's not going to do you any good moving forward throughout the rest of your career. Now, hopefully this foot issue gets resolved this off season and hopefully he's able to lose some sort of weight going into next season. And it works out for Zion in the long run. And then he has a prosperous career afterwards because to be quite honest with you, Kevin, he was one of the more sensational rookies or one of the more sensational younger players that the NBA had to offer until he got hurt. He was averaging around 25 points a game. And it's just unfortunate in his case that he's been dealing with this lingering foot issue that could potentially, you know, really hinder his career moving forward if it's not corrected now. So I, I think when it comes to Zion's trade value, I don't really actually have it that high because I think teams are looking at Zion. They they look at his age. They definitely see the fact that he's young and that he's extremely athletic when he's fully healthy. But I think teams are going to be a little bit cautious to possibly pull a trade trigger with him simply just because the weight is going to be an issue and this lingering foot issue, which honestly, I think the foot issue is a little bit more pressing than the weight issue. The weight issue can be addressed. That's not really the big issue here. That foot injury is and i do think that has a hindrance and when it comes to his trade value so with zion yeah his career is in a little bit of doubt as far as i'm concerned as far as his long-term career goes now with damian lillard damian lillard can bounce back from this admin i'm not worried about dame and the effectiveness that he brings on the court one of the most electrifying three-point shooters in the game he's a great clutch player to have on a team but i do see a possible scenario where he could potentially be traded from Portland. And I think it's because 
I think Portland's at the point in time where they have to make a decision. Do you just go full rebuild or do you possibly build around Damian Lillard to try to make this team somewhat formidable going into not only next season, but the years afterward? And I think this offseason, I really legitimately believe that they are going to be looking at trade options for Dame because I think that they're going to be looking at just starting a full rebuild this offseason. And Damian Lillard, despite the fact that he had this abdomen injury, he has so much trade value. You can get a lot back from Dame. You can get it in the form of players. You can get it with draft picks. You have flexibility with Dame's trade value. It's just whether or not they actually do that trade. They already did it with CJ McCollum. They shipped him off to New Orleans this this season uh, before the trade deadline. I could definitely see a scenario where that front office with the Portland Trailblazers listen to the situation and saying, you know what, we just have to accept the fact that this team is just not competitive right now. Let's trade Dame. Let's get some draft capital in return, and let's just start it all over again. And I, I think when you look at Portland, uh, Portland maximized their window as far as being able to be a competitive force in the Western Conference. Portland's nowhere near the team that it should be just because Dame's not there. DJ McCollum is no longer there. Team kind of hit its pinnacle with the roster that they had assembled and the pieces that they had there. So the way that I see it, I think Dame's career in Portland is actually done. I I could see him getting traded this offseason just because of the situation that I laid out. So, you know, when I look at the grand scheme of things, you know, these two players, they're extremely pivotal for both of their teams. Zion's youth is definitely something that New Orleans has to consider just because when you have him to go alongside with CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, I mean, these are really good pieces to work with. Hopefully it works in Zion's case in the long run. When it comes to Dame, I definitely see Dame in a scenario where he gets traded this offseason. Whether Portland does that or not kind of remains to be seen at this point. But my bet is I think he gets traded this offseason. I think they're going to start a full rebuild. That's just how I see it. It's conflicting. Obviously, like both of us said, each of them have their own respective differences, but at the same time, so many similarities, especially because of them coming off of major injuries. Uh, But only time's going to tell in both of those organizations. Uh, Dame's being a little bit more sensitive just because he's been there so long and because Mm -hmm. he is in such high regard and value for a trade. And, uh, you know, what other teams would be willing to give up for him is just a little bit different than for Zion's situation. I I know Dame, he definitely has his heart and soul in Portland. But I can respect that. But but so did Russell Westbrook when he was with the Thunder. And look what happened. He ended up getting traded. And, Kevin, it's like what we said earlier. It's a business. Whether it's football, whether it's basketball, these front offices have to look at these rosters objectively. And they have to face the realities like, you know what? We got to start over. And there's a very real chance that Portland could be weighing that option this offseason. Now, I don't think Dane wants to get traded. I think Dane wants to stay in Portland. I think he loves it there. He wants to win a championship in Portland. And I could definitely respect that. It's just, I don't see that being the case. I don't see he Dane winning an NBA Finals in Portland. I know how much it's going to bother him to not be able to achieve that. But unless they're able to rebuild this roster around Dame and bring in some 
decent free agents this offseason. It's just not going to happen. And I think it's more likely than not that he gets traded, despite the fact that he doesn't want to, to another team. He sent it to the Lakers as far as I'm concerned. That would make a hell of a difference if we could be able to freaking ship Russell Westbrook out there and not deal with that anymore. But no, I I just don't see a scenario where I see Dame staying long-term. I, I, I just don't see it. I, I think Portland's going to do him a solid to get him out of there. And honestly, they would be kind of doing him a solid. Because if he wants to win a championship, it's not going to be with Portland. It would be elsewhere. But I, I, I got to respect Dame, though, because the dude's loyal. He is loyal to Portland. Don't typically see that with NBA players in this generation because a lot of these players are on the move within a four- to five-year window. Dame's been there his entire career, and I imagine that he wants to finish his career in Portland, but I don't see it that. I don't see it like that. I, I just don't. Now, we got one more segment to go over. Kevin, are you mentally prepared for this one? Sure. We are going to focus on the New York Yankees. Now, granted, this is Kevin's team. And kind of looking back to last season, Yankees did not have a good finish to the year last year. Um, Granted, they had uh, had a wild card appearance against the Boston Red Sox, where it just it did not work out in their favor. And they were looking on the outside end once it got to the ALDS and the NLDS and the divisional round in the MLB. But it is a new year, and games will be starting, as far as the regular season is concerned, within the next couple of weeks or so. Kevin, there's been some movement on the roster with the Yankees, but not as much as I think fans would expect. And really kind of focus on... Brian Cashman. Brian Cashman fully believes that this is a team that could be good going into the season. And it is one of the highest payrolls, if not the highest payroll that the Yankees have ever put out as far as the lineup is concerned with the current roster that they've had. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, what is your overall expectation for the Yankees this season? Nothing good. We're not better than the Red Sox. We're not better than the Rays. I mean, for God's sakes, you can make the argument that the damn Orioles might be better than us. I know that's a stretch. And of course, for sure, it's not better than the Blue Jays. We might be the fourth or fifth best team in the AL East. Bro, all of our money is going into three players that are over the age of 30. Garrett Cole, Giancarlo Stanton, and our recently acquired third baseman, Josh Donaldson. I don't understand what Cashman was thinking when he made the move for Donaldson. I don't understand why we didn't go after another starting pitcher. I have no concept of why we didn't even go after um, Freddie Freeman. If you were already over the cap, go over it big time and go get a a gold glover that can rake, a former MVP at that. Uh, And, and of course, a, a World Series champion who can bring some championship pedigree into this locker room. But instead... You sign a 36-year-old third baseman who's well past his prime, is swing or miss for everything, and is owed $50 million over the next two years. You didn't want to give Bryce Harper the deal to get about 25 to $30 million a year, and he just won an MVP last year, but you want to give it to a 36-year-old. It makes no sense. We haven't been able to extend Aaron Judge. We went and re-signed Rizzo. DJ LeMayhew's in the last year of his deal. We still have Aaron Hicks on this team. We still have fucking... Luis Severino on this team. Joey Gallo was swing and miss for the fences. Gary Sanchez is gone, so I'm happy about that. But, I mean, for God's sakes, this roster is relatively the exact same that it was last year. 
we have made absolutely no improvements that we desperately needed in the rotation, in the bullpen, as well as on the field, because we genuinely don't have a consistent infielder to play shortstop and third, but you have Glaber at second. So kudos to that. Yay. We get him back to his natural position. So, I mean, we have falafel, whatever the hell his name is. I hate to sound like an asshole, but it's like, I don't know the guy and I get it. He's a formal gold glover, but I I have to see him perform before I can go and give an evaluation as to what I think he's going to do. Josh Donaldson, as if we didn't have enough big bats and and, and people whiffing at garbage, he just adds another bat to an already deep lineup, if that's what you want to call it. And I just, I I really don't know what's happening, man. I have no faith in this team. I have absolutely no confidence that we're going to be able to make a run. I say that this team is going to be a bottom tier team in the AL because Dude, the injury buck hits us every year. We have shit starting pitching, and we just added another person that it's either home run or bust. I, I'm sorry, not to mention with New York's vaccination rules. I don't know who's vaccinated and who's not, but I do know that Aaron Judge is not, and that New York has extended that policy for the indefinite future. So it looks like we're going to be playing without Aaron Judge at home. So good job, everybody. Congratulations. The Yankees are going to be the laughing stock of the AL. And, of course, we're the third most highest-spending team in the MLB. So, good job, Cashman. You've pretty much utterly fucked us for any progression over the next two to three seasons. And Aaron Judge still isn't locked up to be the captain of this team for the foreseeable future. So, thank you for everything you didn't do this offseason. No hope, huh? Bro, come on, man. How are we going to compete with these teams in in our own division? How? Where? Kevin, do you remember what I sent you the other day when um, the preseason games started? Do you remember that that Twitter message that I sent you? Do you remember what I said specifically about like that first uh, Yankees game, the preseason? No. What was it? The uh, the heartbreak tour starts. That's uh, sounds that, familiar. Yeah, because Kevin's like main saying is, "Bro, I gotta break my heart every year, every year." It's the last time they didn't break your heart was what, 2009? 2009. But tell, tell, me, tell me I'm exaggerating. With this roster that we have, with the money that we're spending, we should have a roster 10 times better than this. Well, I, I mean, when you kind of look at the, the guys that you were potentially going after to bring into the roster, I mean, one that kind of came up just recently, the, the Trevor Story um, signing. He went to the Red Sox. Oh, by the way, he went to Boston. Yeah, and he got, what was it, like a six-year like he got he got a huge bag with that one. He got over a hundred million dollars. Correa got a bag. One. Yeah, Correa goes to the Twins. Um, you guys, I don't think we're really ever in the Freddie Freeman uh situation. He ends up going where to the he? Avengers. Rogers. Oh uh, yeah, they're gonna be nasty this year. Roster that they have, but it's just. They kind of just, you know, no pun intended, they just swung and miss on everybody with the guys that they br- were going to try to bring in. I mean, I-, I guess if there's a silver lining to it all, you brought Rizzo back. You brought Rizzo back? I mean, it's not, I, that, I just, it's not that I don't like him at all. I, it's not, I, I love Rizzo, but the options that we had at first base in terms of free agency were better than him and younger, and we didn't do it. I, I, I mean, look, I, I think there's a little bit of, I guess, satisfaction knowing that Gary Sanchez is not going to be on this team this upcoming season. I, I know that brings you a lot of joy. I, I It used to bring me so much joy 
uh, to be able to just send you uh, videos on Twitter saying Gary hit a bomb like freaking 450 feet. I, I'm going to miss that. I, honestly, I may just kind of just follow Gary Sanchez wherever he goes and then just follow his highlights. And then I'm just going to send them to you. Still, like, bro, he's hitting frozen ropes. I know you don't like it, but he's still going out there and doing it, even though they might be swinging at the worst pitches imaginable. But okay no i mean as far as the yankees upcoming season this this year i'm with kevin on this one i I mean with the roster that they had last year i mean they they barely scraped into a wild card situation and i mean if it wasn't for stan basically going off in the last two months of the season i mean you guys would have barely made a 500 record i mean that's what you're kind of talking about. I mean, God forbid, like Stanton got hurt in the last two months of the season instead of popping off and was, I mean, arguably, he was the best player in that last two months in baseball. In baseball. I mean, I remember Kevin, once the season had ended, I, I remember Kevin actually apologized to Stan just because he popped off. I mean, against the Red Sox. I mean, specifically, didn't he hit, like, what, like, three or four home runs in, like, a one-series stretch where he single-handedly took over that series? Yep. I mean, I, I mean, like, the Yankees can have stretches where they just look amazing. And then yeah, they we outpower complete, people. And, they look, and then there's times where they absolutely fall apart. And last year, it was pretty simple. They could never be able to consistently line up the pitching effectiveness with the hitting effectiveness. They just could never get it in sync because there would be times where they could go out and pitch gems. And I remember there were games earlier in the season where Garrett Cole would only give up a run earned or sometimes give up no runs, but he would get no run support. And there would be games where the offense would be lighting it up, yet the pitching is giving up five, six runs against opposing teams. And I think it's going to be very similar this year. I think it's going to be just, it's going to be a roller coaster up and down the entire year. It's going to be like that all year. Now, I don't know what it's going to end with. It may crash and burn as far as I'm concerned. And I don't think that the, the vaccination status thing helps with guys like Aaron Judge. And I, I granted, I have my personal feelings about the whole vaccine mandate thing as far as these private employers go. But, you know, you know, not having Aaron Judge potentially for a significant amount of home games this season, I, I, it's going to be tough for the Yankees to be a viable team, not only in the AL East, but really MLB as a whole. I, I just don't see it working out in their favor this year. I don't even think they make the playoffs. Me either. And that's not even an insult to the team. I mean, uh, you know, we get Severino back, who had a lot of setbacks last year. He kind of got it turned back on uh, towards the end. I mean, what it's hard to be positive, man. I'm not even playing. It's, it's it's really tough to try to find the bright sides of this organization. And um, we bought we brought Boone back. Cashman didn't do anything that they said they were going to do this offseason, whether or not it was a big spend or not. You went and acquired a 36-year-old. I'm not letting that go. That Donaldson move is going to come and bite us in the ass. It put us over the cap or the luxury tax or whatever the hell the situation is, and he's legitimately pushing 40. By the time this contract ends, he will be almost 39 years old. That is absolutely ridiculous. We should be paying somebody that old that much money. 
the Yankees for you. Yeah, it makes me feel great. And and I honestly think that it was just because I think they knew that they weren't going to be able to get some of these big-name acquisitions. I I think they knew it, and they had to settle. What does that say? What does that really say about the state of the Yankees? I mean, Freddie Freeman goes out. You know, Freddie goes out to the Dodgers. Carlos goes out to Minnesota. And Trevor goes to Boston. Boston. And then Olsen goes to uh, to Atlanta. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think had they been able to bring one of those guys in, maybe like Correa, for example, because I know you guys need a shortstop, you know, that, that could have definitely, you know, fixed some things. I, I don't know if it would have been enough to get you guys over the hump in the AL East, but it would have definitely yeah. been a little bit more competitive. But I, I think w- when it comes to... I, I don't know what you really think about this Anthony Volpe um, guy. It's like their number one prospect, relatively young kid. Um, I know there's kind of been some hype around him uh, just from the social media posts that I've seen coming from um, Yankee's Twitter. But I I, I don't know if he's going to be really ready to go like this season, maybe like 2023 or 2024. You could probably see him get some more shine as some of the years go on, but I think this year is going to be a lost cause, bro. I think it's going to be a wash. Yeah, I, I would agree. It, uh, we all know that we have good talent in our farm system. Our top 10 prospects are some of the best prospects in baseball. I get that. I support that fully. I'm happy that we did not get rid of a lot of those prospects to make the moves that we did last year and this year. We gave up maybe one of our top 10, and I forget who it was to where. But the point of the matter is the future looks good in terms of youth and their promising futures in terms of how they're progressing in our system looks good but in terms of right now we are wasting the prime careers of Aaron Judge Garrett Cole and a couple of other young stars uh Glaber Torres is on his last leg with the Yankees in my personal opinion especially because of the way he's been having a lackluster uh, to put it bluntly he hasn't really been giving a lot of effort in terms of you know when we're down when we're losing not running to the bases not really putting much effort in in, in pass balls we know that he switched to shortstop um, <laughs> because we needed to make that adjustment that didn't bode well he led the majors in errors at that in that time period so I mean he didn't have the greatest year offensively either especially when the year before that he hit like 35 36 home runs it's again we are looking at this and we're saying. The Bronx Bombers, the Baby Bombers, whatever the hell time nicknamed it, that 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 time is long past. We're not the team we were in 2017. Shit, we we're not even half that team because we're not. We're sure shit not competing in the AL East, let alone the AL as a, as a whole. So, again, I'm looking for this year, and I'm just saying, you know what? If if we scrape a 500 record, I'd be happy with that, just because at least we were competitive. If we're able to spoil the Red Sox season and kind of beat them in our regular season matchups, which I don't see. But that'll be my happiness, just providing them with misery. And that's about it, honestly. Feel that, bro. Feel that. But, uh, Kevin, that, that's all we got for topics today. I think, uh, I think we're ready to shut this down, don't you think? Yeah, man. It's a little late on our side. Um, we're probably going to wrap it up. I mean, guys, you know the routine. If you like the video, please hit that thumbs up. You like what you see, subscribe, comment, talk to us. I mean, we, we, we love engaging with you guys as much as we can. We appreciate all the support at any platform that we've gotten it, whether that be YouTube, whether that be audio or social media. Um, any and all support is appreciated. And uh, as always, man, we will be seeing you guys again later this week for 
whether that's a, a mini segment, I know we have some videos kind of saved up in the archives that we might put out there. But um, overall, you know, you'll definitely be hearing from us again soon. Absolutely. Um, more than likely, we'll put out another episode later this week. Um, typically, like we do, probably put it out on Friday. But um, like Kevin said, you know, if there's anything that pops up as far as like mini segments go, we'll definitely throw them out throughout the week. But um, I got nothing more to add. Um, Kevin, you could take this one as far as I'm concerned. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate everything. We'll be seeing you guys again soon. All right. Peace out, you guys. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big home. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.